hello. Welcome to episode eight of I Said What I Said, a podcast dedicated to living, laughing, and speaking the truth. I am your host, Tori Forte. It is, again, wonderful to be back on the mic to bring you guys some wonderful little tidbits of information and have the conversations that need to be had uh, without any filters, no filters here. Um, Today, we are going to dig into... uh, the topics that I have been presented with for my race and rhetoric class. As mentioned before on previous episodes, I am a student currently at UNT Dallas, uh, where I am studying communications. Um, One of the courses that I'm taking for this semester is taught by uh, Dr. Robert Tahina Harrow, um, and he has challenged us this week um, with the topics of the hashtags uh, Black Lives Matter, along with a new concept that I hadn't really heard of, but makes complete sense after doing the readings um, is the new Jim Crow era. Um, So we're going to kind of dig right in with some of the things that, um, you know, we kind of know a a lot about, which is the uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Um, I've spoken on this um, on a couple of occasions, and then I've also uh, put a couple of blog essays out there on WordPress. Um, And so it's definitely a conversation and topic that I'm familiar with in terms of its origin. Um, But when it comes to incorporating um, the hashtag Black Lives Matter into the new Jim Crow era topic, I feel like it further, um, you know, it it further heightens the need for attention to what is going on to not only black lives, but to uh, black and brown lives and people who are living in Um, areas that are uh, stricken with poverty um, in schools that are not receiving the attention and the funding um, that some schools do receive. Um, And at the end of the day, it boils down to a social construct, unfortunately, um, and where our government places importance. Um, on the lives of certain citizens. Um, And so one of the pieces of resource, or one of the resources rather, that was given to us um, was a TED Talk um, by a Alice Goffman. Uh, Now she is an urban sociologist um, and I want to say she primarily, you know, does a lot of her work in Philadelphia um, where, you know, it is kind of Known, you know, the amount of poverty um, and violence and, um, you know, just the injustice um, that takes place there is pretty um, wide known. So she does a lot of her work there and focuses on, um, you know, the justice system and the inequalities that are um, so very prevalent there. Um, and so she did a TED Talk uh speaking about a personal experience um, or encounter that she had whenever she was tutoring um, college or when she was tutoring while in college and she was tutoring a high school student who was going through um, just a a lot of unfortunate circumstances um, that all kind of just stemmed from his social construct. Um, And so basically she lays out the story where there's a young man 
who is basically coming from a family who does not have much. His mother is struggling with addiction um, and trying to overcome that. Um, his grandmother is not working and then his grandfather is on a pension and that's where, you know, the stem of their support comes from. And so having not as much, you know, as, you know, she explained she grew up having, um, it is obvious why he ended up where he did, but the question is why? Um, you know, when we are in a, a state where resources are available, there are schools, there are high schools and elementary schools that look better than some of the universities out there. Um, and so it's just a, a matter of asking the question, why? Why not make resources um, equal across the board. Um, and, and I get, you know, like there are city and county, you know, taxes and things like that, that pay for education. But at the end of the day, as a state, if, you know, if a state could come together and divide up those resources to where every child within that state is taken care of and given an equal opportunity, I feel like that, th that should be the bigger picture that should be what people are looking at but unfortunately um, the way social construct has divided everything up um, it is as though <laughs> it is as though that is what they want they they want to keep um, you know the less fortunate um, and the quote-unquote minorities um, in their place basically and so by controlling access to resources they you know they are able to control um, the ultimate end of or at least they hope they can control the outcome of some of the lives of the um, children later on adults that will come out of these poor neighborhoods um, and so uh, Alice continues to you know tell the story as to how this young man had to basically fight um, to make his way out of the situation so he got into a you know a very simple and um minor schoolyard fight where you know a student um said something about his mom um you know something along the lines of her being a crackhead or a crack whore or something along those lines and he pushed the student's face in the snow now mind you i feel like that is very very much so a minor offense considering some of the things that I personally encountered in high school that you know were overlooked so for a student to do something that minor and for there to be police on campus uh, you know on on a high school campus that can make an arrest and put a aggravated assault charge based off of a student who was not even physically hurt she mentioned that you know the the student that pushed um, or that the student whose face was pushed in the snow was not even hurt. Um, so there really was not any type of assault, um, you know, that was done. At, I guess this minor event trickled down just a, a smorgasbord of issues for this young man. So aside from not having any type of um, financial support, um, during the time of this assault charge. Um, he also, once everything was settled and, you know, the 
minor gist of the charges were taken off of him, um, he still was not able to make payment towards any of the uh, court costs. Um, and so he then went back into having a warrant. Um, and then, you know, trying to make those payments on that situation, he wasn't able to, uh, you know, secure a vehicle. So he's borrowing, you know, his girlfriend's vehicle and then, um, you know, taking his little brother to school, trying to be, you know, supportive of his family in the best way that he can because he's not in school. He's been, he'd been arrested for, gosh, I guess she said for the duration of the senior year. And so now he has, um, you know, a situation where he's taking his brother to school and the girlfriend's car, I guess at some point was rep was reported stolen in another state. And so now the police officer, despite, you know, what the young man in the car is saying, and now his little brother is 11. So the police officer charges not just the young man driving his girlfriend's reportedly stolen vehicle, charges him with, um, I guess, some type of uh, receiving of a stolen vehicle, but charges the 11-year-old with accessory to a stolen vehicle. And I, in the back of my mind, I just want to say, God damn, do you really just have nothing else to do with your time than to harass these young men? I feel like I, I get, you know, the idea of protect and serve and doing, you know, preventative type measures, you know, to keep the community safe. But at what point as a peace officer and as a law enforcer, do you not feel just small behind nitpicking people who you know cannot take control of this situation? What, what else was that young man going to do? Not take his brother to school? make his little brother walk in what, you know, sounds like was not the best of, a, you know, best neighborhood. Or if they would have been walking, what, then he you would have pulled them over anyway and told them that they were being suspicious. I mean, it's just, there just seems to be this never ending cycle for black and brown men that they are just crowned with this shadow of, like just danger and oh they're aggressive oh and they have to be up to no good when in all reality it is <laughs> I know several people um who are white um or you know if we want to just of the European descent who have done far worse things than a lot of the black and brown individuals that I know but because there is no type of um, preconceived notion that they are doing harm, they are able to get away with a lot more. And I've seen, you know, on several of the, the films that have come out over the last five years or so, um, you know, there have just been, there's just been a light shed on this situation and conversations are now taking place in black and brown homes with parents and their children just saying hey just so you know the white kids that you play with that's great you have those white friends but you just know when to remove yourself because everything that they can get away with does not mean that you will get away with it i know um within the video the ted talk um, that Alice Goffman was was sharing, she mentioned the exact same thing. You know, that during college, 
the the raids and the the dorm rooms and things like that of you know her college white counterparts um, that they were having had the police came up in there and did any type of inspection would they have even gone to jail but no because the police would not have found themselves there in in the first place despite the noise despite because of the location and it's it's just it's just infuriating that we still continue to have to fight for equality there have been movies <laughs> portraying that yeah i mean like the the only difference between a white drug dealer and a black drug dealer most of the time is just that the 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 white drug dealer is white i mean between style of dress um you know things like that i really feel like it would not it would not make a difference excuse me it wouldn't make a difference in any way shape or form the black man is always going to be singled out just based off of the color of his skin and then two again based off of geography now is it likely that a brother in a suit in uptown will you know walking down the street selling drugs will be pulled over probably not so much but if there were to be oh if there was a white man in urban clothes selling drugs i guarantee you he also he would not but if the shoe was on the other foot if the black man was dressed in urban clothes and was selling drugs absolutely he's he's going to get questioned if there is any type of suspicion it's just a part of where we are in our social construct i mean and and I, I do, I believe it wholeheartedly that, you know, yes, there are those, um, there are those, those codes and those signals, you know, and, and I do believe that there are, there are good police officers out there. I know one, maybe two, um, but for the most part, they're doing what they are trained to do. And so whenever you look at it in that perspective it's like okay well then what can we do what what can be done about the way that you know law enforcers are trained well i mean at the end of the day that perspective is built up and then you also kind of get lost in the idea that you know everyone in this area is up to no good or everyone in this area is rich and we won't have any problems out of them. Oh, you know, it's just a, a couple of white kids having fun. Oh, okay, no, you know, we see about three black males over here. You know, things are looking aggressive. Let's go ahead and um, let's go ahead and take them in. Let them sit it out. So now we have this situation where minorities are being imprisoned based off of these minor drug charges further adding to their inability to move forward past the current social construct that they are in those barriers they can be broken but it unfortunately is about what you are able to overcome 
Um, I mean, you, you really have to, if you're coming from a poorer area, you really do have to fight for these opportunities and you have to stay as clear as possible from any type of drama um, or craziness that could go on. But even then, it's, it's about being in the wrong place at the wrong time and it doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter what is going on. If, if anyone says, hey, yeah, that's him. That's the black guy. Uh, there's a movie, oh my gosh, throwback movie, Preacher's Wife. And there's this young man who is working hard to help his single mother and it's like four or five brothers and sisters that he has. And he is, you know, not living in a great neighborhood by any means. Um, and this movie is taking place in the, the late 80s. And so, um, you know, they emphasized on, you know, drug use in the area. Uh, but the young man is returning a video to um, a video rental store, which <laughs> never hear of those anymore. So that definitely tells the area, the era of this movie. Um, and as he is going into the video store, Across the store, across the street, a pawn shop is broken into, and um, the young men, which during that time everyone was kind of in the similar dress, it's cold. So the puffy overcoat, the baggy jeans, the Tims, the beanie, you know, and so those the two black young men that come running out, they leave. He hears guns. The young man comes out. He hears gunshots, and he ducks behind a car. The police pull up not too long after that's happened. And um, the store owner who, uh, you know, looks to be of the West Indian descent, he points to the young man who's dunked, dunk, who is now, you know, kind of ducked behind the car who just came from the video store. He says, that's him. That's the one who did it. I know that it was you. I, I saw you. No, you saw a black man. And that is what it, it seems to always boil down to. I say, stay black. Stay black. Keep doing you, black sir, brown man. Keep, keep being who we are. And we need to stop allowing for the social construct to define us. But we do have to find a way to get out of it safely. Um... The prison rates in the U.S. Um, are exponentially higher than any other country. And that boils down to that new Jim Crow era concept of keeping as many minorities, the black and the brown, keeping them locked up under these minor drug charges. But it's to keep us quote unquote safe right because we're oh we're getting the drug dealers off off the road we're, we're getting them off of the streets but what about you know what about the the white drug dealers i just feel like there has to be an end to the racism and to the um to singling out minorities just because of where they come from. We need to allow better opportunities for the schools um, to make a change. I feel like there's been, there have been so many different little, um, oh gosh, 
what was it that the leave no child behind act you know crap where George Bush was reading that Dr. Seuss book upside down I mean like just come come on at what point will we stop allowing America to lie to us about what they are doing to our country black people matter brown people matter yes there are bad people on all spectrums of the race all all everyone is not good but everyone is not bad and people are people and they will make mistakes but they shouldn't have to pay for it for the rest of their lives and the most of the time the white ones don't unfortunately um so with that being said i feel like i i kind of i dug in and I got a little emotional about the situation, but you know what? That's what we're here to do. Uh, we're here to have those hard conversations and then, you know, find some kind of way to learn and to laugh about, um, you know, this stupid shit that's going on and then work towards making a change and being the change. So with that said, I'm going to leave you guys, but I am once again, happy to be on this platform. I look forward to moving it forward as the semester comes to an end. I think we have one more week, one more podcast left to go. So until next time, I want to say just thank you so much again for tuning in to I Said What I Said, a podcast dedicated to living, laughing, and speaking the truth. Be blessed. Bye.